This is Life Elsewhere, created and hosted by Norman B. Hello there, this is Norman B. And this is Life Elsewhere. A word or two of warning about the conversation I'm about to have. My guest has written a book which will touch on some topics that some listeners may find, well, a little uncomfortable. So without further ado, let me introduce you to a gentleman we've had on the program numerous times because one, we like, we like him, and two, because he writes fascinating books. His name is Mark Haskell Smith. Mark, welcome back to Life Elsewhere. Thanks for having me, Norman. I, I don't know that I need a trigger warning, but <laughs> <laughs> well, we it might shall be see. a first. It might be a first for me. <laughs> we shall see, Mr. Smith. The book, Rude Talk in Athens, Ancient Rivals, The Birth of Comedy, and A Rice's Journey Through Greece. Before we go any further, full disclosure, I should let people that you and I have been friends for a number of years. And, fair stretch yeah yes and i do believe that i'm certain i'm almost positive that i've called you many things throughout those years but i don't believe that i've i'm mean, in fact i'm absolutely sure that i've never ever called you a besotted debauchee <laughs> no that wasn't you who said that <laughs> that wasn't me now, could you explain to my listeners why I called, why I brought that up, a besotted debauchee? Um, well, that's a reference to, um, uh, so the book is about these two playwrights in ancient Athens in the fifth century, which really was the birth of comedy when, you know, they had free speech and that allowed them to basically get on stage and say whatever they wanted. And most of that work has been lost through time, which we can talk about, you know, why speculate on why maybe that happened or what happened. But the one that remains is by Aristophanes and one translator in the, um, I think in the 1860s translated him and, and he talks in his plays, Aristophanes talks a lot about this other playwright, Ariphrates and call and calls him numerous things, but the translator actually, and, and accuses Ariphrates of all kinds of things that were very uh, transgressive at the time. But he accuses Ariphrates of being, a, uh, the translator accuses Ariphrates of being a besotted debauchee. And I just thought, <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's one thing to have this guy slandered 2000 years ago, but then for another person to say, yeah, he's right. He is that. You know, <laughs> he didn't know him. What is that? It's like, that's editorializing. Um, yes. so in the book, I say, well, I, I too have been called a besotted debauchee. So, uh, yeah. you know, which yes. just refers to my loose and, uh, and freewheeling twenties. So, yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> but less about that and more about your book. So this book, yes. which I hold here in my hand is a, just a jolly good read. And I should let my listeners know that. It's full of information and it's full of Mark Haskell Smith's wits. For instance, prostitution was much like our modern customer rewards program with silver, gold and platinum levels. The festivals were more than just a drunken sausage party. Lovely stuff. Lots of, <laughs> lots of 
bon mots throughout this uh, throughout this book. Got to ask you this to begin with. I know that you like Greece and you've been there and you went there to do research on for this book. But what's what got you interested into this this topic in the first place? Oh, it's it's a great question because it, it's totally an accident that I wrote this book. I had I was very interested in the writings of Epicurus, who was like a, a, a third century or no fourth sorry fourth century uh, philosopher who talked a lot about pleasure and how pleasure should be the um, the sort of highest goal of humanity and of civilization. And in fact, at the at, his, at around the first century BC, um, there were half a million people living in Epicurean communes, sort of sharing things, spending time like reading poetry. I mean, he was not into politics or commerce or anything. And, and, and actually Epicurean writings inspired Karl Marx when he created communism. And I yes. thought that's a really fascinating story. So as I was researching that and was gonna write a book on the history of pleasure and how pleasure could save the planet, um, I just came across this throwaway line about this playwright who was accused of being kind of linked or by Aristophanes in multiple plays, like at least five or six plays. He singles out this guy for his sloppy sexual habits. And I thought, well, wait, what's the story with this? And then, and then I just fell down a rabbit hole. Um, yes. Cause um, you know, I write comedic books. I try to be funny. And uh, this is really like, Oh, where did comedy come from? And then you forget that before Athens, People like you couldn't if you made a joke and the king didn't like it, you know, off with your head and yes. you, you couldn't really say whatever you wanted without there being some consequences and repercussions. And at least in this point in time, when they finally had free speech, they they could say whatever they want. And of course, then they just started making fart jokes and talking about boners, um, <laughs> <laughs> which you yeah. <laughs> one of the things that people should know about your book is that you don't hold back on on. I'm just getting straight to the point about things. And I, uh, I wanted to let everybody know that, which was kind of part of my warning, which certain things are going to come up. You just touched on it just a little while ago. And I have to be very careful about how I say things here because I know that you will turn it into a joke. So um, <laughs> Epicurious or Epicurean, it's, it's, you tell us in the book that he really wasn't into uh, lavish meals. It was just really to do with just having a nice time. Yeah, his whole thing was uh, you eat healthy. He so he was like a, he was sort of a vegan, right? And he he grew his own food. Ate, apparently, ate a lot of lentils and barley bread, and and drank wine. And but he had like open dining tables, so he would you know if you were it was very scandalous that like uh, flute girls or prostitutes would show up at his dinner table and and were treated as equals with the men because it's a very patriarchal society. Women were really marginalized there, and he was. His whole thing was about like eat nutritious food, spend time uh, doing stuff you like. If you liked playing music, play music. If you like writing poetry, write poetry. Spend time in nature. Spend time with your friends. He didn't. He he wasn't so big on marriage and monogamy. He was just like let's just all be friends together. So he's basically a hippie, and yes. and had a commune. And and I think what happened over time when Christianity came in is that those were all things that really um went against kind of the they would undermine the power of the church so 
I think what happened is that this idea that Epicurus was some sort of food snob um, and only, and you know, everyone who was an Epicurean had gout and stuff. That was, I think, basically a disinformation campaign by the early Catholic church to make him seem like something he wasn't and to, to basically disenfranchise all his followers. To begin the play, you to begin the play, to begin the book, you begin it as if it is a play. You go through the process of how, how a Greek uh, play begins. Do you, can you just explain that to my listeners? Well, uh, there was a, when the, when, so comedy com- comedic plays first started as just parties right? Uh, people would dress in costumes, they would carry giant phalluses down the street, and they would be drunk and hurl insults at each other and get in fights. And and, and so someone said, well, we should maybe organize this. So then they added comedies to, and what were they called them? Satyr plays. And a satyr is basically the embodiment of male energy. So you can imagine that that's like a frat party gone off the rails. Um, anyway, so they put a structure to them and there, so there's like an entry of the chorus. There's a, there's the, an, a gone, they called it a gone, or I might be pronouncing these things wrong, but, um, but the, where they basically, there's a debate and then there's different, there's a, basically there's a set structure for how early comedies worked. And I, and I reflect that in the book, the book is structured in the same way. So you get the, the idea. It was just also a fun thing to do. You also, in the book, you introduce us at the beginning of the book to what you call in these days, we would call a man cave. Can you talk about that? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, almost every house in Athens, I mean, of people of a certain stature had what was called an andron, which was just like a room with benches around the sides. It was like sort of men only drinking parties uh, or the, what they would call symposium, um, which is different than what we think of a symposium. But back in those days, men would get together, drink wine, there might be some flute girls in attendance, and they would just talk. And, you know, sometimes they turned into big parties. And sometimes they just were just like, you know, dudes drinking and talking in their special room. Um, Plato, Plato captured that in a book called Symposium, where he, he, you know, recounted some of the speeches that famous Athenians of the time you know, did, you know, like Aristophanes talking about like why men and women are, should be together and, and is a really nice thing. There's a whole bunch of stuff. Some of it's political, some of it's uh, about romance, some of it's about poetry, art. I mean, they were, they were very, it's kind of cool, you know, to like think uh, spending time with smart people talking about interesting things. Um, I think excluding women was probably not something we would do nowadays, but (laughs) <laughs> so let's talk about that. So women were excluded, except, as you just mentioned, you've mentioned a couple of times, flute girls. Yeah. Talk to me about flute girls. Well, flute girls were, and there's, you know, the one thing to keep in mind about ancient Athens, which is actually really fascinating, is we don't know that much about it. There is not a lot that's recorded. So some of this stuff is inferred either from the plays or from, like, pictures on the on the pottery and there's some recordings of court cases, um, a litigation that they had. They're like, they love to sue each other back then. Um, but otherwise, there's not a lot of like stuff about it. So flute girls, some people say they were prostitutes or slaves. Um, some people said they were uh, just women of who weren't from a 
prominent family or part of the aristocracy, they would actually go to music school and learn to play what's called an, an alo, abos, abos, something like that, oh, uh, which is basically like two oboes at the same time. Right. And they make this really, there, there's some, you can find on YouTube, there's some people who have redone them and play them and they make a really kind of beautiful racket. Um, so, so they were musicians, they were entertainers, and they were also provided uh, uh, sexual services to people in the Andron. So, yeah, they were kind of um, a big part of that culture of the the male dominated uh, society at the time, and and um, yeah, I mean, there's a great thing where Demosthenes, who was a an orator and a philosophy at the time said that, you know, um, you have wives, this, and this is just, but to illustrate, I'm not, I'm not advocating this at all. This is just to illustrate how yes, it was yes. at the time was you have wives for procreation. You have, uh, um, heteri, which is sort of these sort of high-end courtesans, um, for romance, you have prostitutes, and then you also have your slaves for all your sec- daily sexual needs. So they had, <laughs> they had, basically it was a very sort of sex and you also had boys you know they they did not have any uh problem with homosexuality or anything like that um so basically it was you know uh like a a sort of a rolling orgy um but we are talking about we're not talking about just the average person in athens at the time or in greece at the time we're talking about people of a certain stature yeah yeah, yeah. The, the aristocracy. But, you know, uh, it's funny because Athens was run was a really like so it was a military militaristic patriarchy. Right. Um, you know, women were basically either prostitutes or, or you know, state didn't leave the house because they ran yes. the house. They were the uh, and. And they and then and they had slaves from all the lands they conquered. So there's a, some some people speculate that that like was nineteen to one slave slave to Athenian ratio, which is, you know, why they didn't rise up and kill those people. I I don't know, but you know, um, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I, I I had written down here, ask Mark about the ratio of of enslaved people. That that seems just so crazy. Nineteen to one. That's just yeah. Nuts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they so so basically what happened is then the aristocracy or even your anyone born of a, in Athens of an Athenian parents was then an, a citizen. So you had basically all these sla- enslaved people running all the sort of dirty work of a city. So they had time to like think about art or sue each other or go to play festivals and do this stuff. I mean, they didn't have to, you know, go harvest crops and things like that. So do we know, Mark, where the slaves came from? Who were the slaves? The enslaved they were people? from all over the place. They were just, if you, you know, that's the thing about that time in the world history is you could be king of some island or king of some city. And if the Greek army captured you, the next thing you know, you're someone's slave, you know, and, and your whole family becomes enslaved. And that was just, you know, that's the, the whole conquest thing was not just about like, oh, and now we're the boss of your land. It's like, no, now you're all work for us. You're, and, yes. you know, um, it was it was, you know, we look at that time and and 
and rightly so we go well they they invented democracy they built these amazing buildings and they did all this stuff but the other flip side of that is it was really brutal it was you know brutal misogynistic enslaving people killing people all the time i mean it was not um it was not as sort of enlightened as we like to think isn't it funny because it, when we look at our history books we think of ancient rome as being the the place where you know you had gladiators and lions of men fighting lions and the Colosseum and all that kind of thing. Whereas Greece, ancient Greece, we think of intellectuals standing around spy, uh, reading poetry. Uh, let me just remind my listeners, if you're just joining us, my guest is Mark Haskell Smith. His new book is called Rude Talk in Athens, Ancient Rivals, The Birth of Comedy and a Writer's Journey Through Greece. And the writer, of course, is Mark himself. And as he said, he came upon this story by accident in some respects and, and and then did what has to have been just hours and hours of research because you've i i i know i think that you know i love notations in books i'm always fascinated fascinated by the little uh blocks of notes uh, it, to me i love that because it gives me even more information but you right. had to have spent ages mark putting this together yeah about three years maybe three and a half years of uh looking into it and it's and i guess part of the challenge of it and also part of the fun of it is because the Ephrates, this playwright's work has all been destroyed it was really like a speculative biography like well what would he have done at the time and why did they say these things about him and what possibly could have happened so i'm trying to like sort of explore all the different angles of that society in a way to kind of create a picture that has been eradicated for whatever reason. Yes. You, know? you said the word once in the conversation here, um, but I think it sort of passed very quickly. So Arafredes, let's just get right down to it and talk about what his penchance was. <laughs> well, to, to, just to put it as, as clear as possibly, uh, Aristophanes plays, in his plays, there's a part in the plays called the Parabasis, where the playwright or the chorus or the chorus act speaking for the playwright singles out prominent citizens for ridicule or tries to embarrass them or claims that they're terrible, you know, like you're a hack, you're a fusty old lame or whatever. And, and, <laughs> and Aristophanes had several prominent targets. One of them was Cleon, who was kind of like the Donald Trump of the day. He was sort of like a, you know, a loud mouth, the politician and and the other one was the subject of my book which is Ephrates, who was accused of um inventing cunnilingus yes so, <laughs> which is which you know at so at so to give you your listeners some references and it would be like don't share your wine cup with him because his beard is sodden with the abominable do do of flute girls hotspots and things like that um which i found like you know i gotta write a book about this guy he have a statue in his honor um yeah. but but then i was also curious well why was that such a big thing like why would that why would you say that to embarrass someone how is that uh the worst thing a person could do and so you start looking into the society at the time and and how you know that whole society was not designed to have pleasure for women. It was about male pleasure, Men. male yes. dominance, you know? So for a man to do that, to actually pleasure a woman um, 
was really transgressive. That was, he was being queer for his time and that caused everyone to, you know, it starts to rock the boat of what they consider, you know, um, uh, proud Athenian citizens. Well, the man was, in the boat, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, if you're supposed to uphold these certain things to be a, a Athenian citizen, why are you doing that? You, don't you, you know, realize that that will yes. cause problems? And and so I thought, well, you know, in a way, this guy is like a hero. And so many people nowadays, you know, with trans rights or LGBT rights and all this stuff are fighting the same fight, right? In our society, just, and and people are so, in some cases, are so afraid of anything that is at all against a very sort of heteronormative status quo and and here was a guy, <laughs> although, although there, there was homosexuality was normal there, um, him doing that is the same way as a transgressive act. Uh, and I just thought, you know, that's, it's a really good topic to look into and think about and how it reflects to us today. You know, we haven't changed that much in some ways. You have a chapter in the book. Um, I'm going to look it and see what the actual title is, but I think it's, uh, it's, it's about pottery. I think it's, maybe it's called just pottery. Um, and, and you tell us about the, the which we're all familiar with, the beautiful, beautiful pottery out of ancient Greece, depicting all kinds of acts. But one act that isn't portrayed very often, except for one. You tell us there's one urn or a vase that has the depiction of what could possibly be a man about to perform um, oral sex with a woman. Yeah, it's funny, right? I mean, those... You know, you don't necessarily always see them in the, the main museums, but the, a lot of the pottery had depicted orgies and group sex and fellatio, all kinds of everything. And, um, you know, what's, what's also funny is to keep in mind is that they were then sold as like souvenirs to people who were visiting <laughs> Athens. Yes. You know, so it's kind of like I went to Miami and I got this, you know, flamingo yeah. pot, you know, and, and, <clears throat> and, uh, but yeah, in all the depictions of all the sex acts, there's one that this one um, professor at the University of California in Berkeley said, maybe this woman is kind of spread her legs and a guy is leaning forward. And she's like, maybe that would, if that's what we think is happening, that's the only depiction of it in the hist in all of Greek history. The fact that you discovered these sort of strange situations in Greece is... is I mean, it's a surprise to me after after looking at all the illustrations we've seen, the pottery and what we know about what we think we know about ancient Greece. Yeah. It does seem that how odd that such a, such a sort of a an act that isn't considered to be well, it's almost like an everyday act now, isn't it? In, in 2021. Well, if you're lucky. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, <clears throat> you know, it, it's something that it's just about being a good partner nowadays. Right? Yes. Yeah. 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 But so this this was a surprise to you. And it was a, the, the source of the the investigative uh, journey that you went on to write this book. So let me ask you this, Mark. So as you're as you're doing all your research and as you're collating all the information and then you, you you're searching out all these different. I mean, you must have been looking at different manuscripts from all over the place and and, and books and references. I, I'm just wondering how your desk must have been covered with all kinds of reference papers. Uh, yeah, I, I would, uh, you know, there's so much research that's been done. Yeah. So you, and you can, 
you you know, and, and because I also teach at a university, I was I could use their library to access all these other yeah. libraries, and there was tons of information. And and uh, yeah, I mean, I had some pretty uh, specific keywords that I was looking for, <laughs> so so that helped cut down on a lot of stuff. But um, I'm not a trained classical scholar, you know. I don't read yeah. ancient Greece or even modern Greek, um, so. So it was, uh, I relied on a lot of American translate or English translations or English research. And some stuff was in German that I could get like translated, but um, yeah, it was just, there's so much written on it and there's still so much more to, to learn. And, and like I said, there is not a lot of, I mean, that 2,500 years ago, right. You know, if we think about like our society now, what's going to 2000 years from now, what's going to remain. Yes. Um, probably not a lot, you know. Um, yeah. People wonder why we liked the Avengers so much. Like, and um, who was the Spider-Man and why was he leading the world, you know. Um, uh, <laughs> and so a lot over, over history, a lot of um, classicists and scholars have tried to fill in the gaps that we don't know with their, their ideas. And some of these ideas are really biased to the time, you know, like, like there's, you know, some scholars to say, well, they, they didn't, the, the male, male lovers didn't really have, you know, anal sex. They, it was, they, it was what they called interfemoral intercourse. They just kind of rubbed between their thighs and you're just like, <laughs> and that's because that scholar is writing at a time when, you know, homosexuality is illegal and they don't want to say, well, this great civilization that created basically founded the liberal arts that our whole society is founded on did that, you know, so they make up something else. And when you start looking at all that kind of stuff and you just realize, wow, we really don't know much at all. And um, so I sort of look at that kind of thing, too, because I found it fascinating how we try to interpret history and we have our biases and and i'm probably just as guilty right so so your book your bookmark is 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 a wonderful travelogue because you talk to people in modern day greece you give us your experiences as a writer but there is a serious aspect to your book you, i mean you drop these little one-liners or two-liners every so often and it's 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 classic mark h smith it's 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 very enjoyable <laughs> But then you then you have a serious side that's going on. I'm just going to just going to quote one part. So you say, can you imagine living in a world where the military takes a back seat to the arts? Ah, something I, as you know, totally, totally agree with. This is the part of your book, what I, I find very fascinating, that you come back to this this idea of the arts being so important. Please talk about that. Expand upon that. Yeah, that that was I, I said that based on uh, something that one of the leaders of, of Athens said was they were spending more money on the theater festivals than we are on the military. And he he was suggesting they needed to bolster their military budget. Yes. So you just think, well, wait a second, <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe they had maybe they were on to something with having um, the arts take a precedence over this sort of militarism or 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 sort of this jingoism and stuff or what have you, you know, because ultimately the arts are what survives. Like, you know, we might say, oh, you know, America's so great. We've got, you know, the biggest military in the history of the world that has ever existed. 
But really, like I say, 2000 years from now, what's going to survive? I mean, what about the arts? The arts are what we remember from all these places. And if we look at ancient Greece or even ancient Egypt, it's the it's the jewelry, it's the paintings, it's the writings, it's the drawings, it's the arts. We don't remember their amazing boats or swords, you know. Yes. Um, and so I think that that is the key thing that survives in a civilization. And we need to encourage more of that. It improve it improves people's lives. It goes, it really goes right back to Epicurus. It's like, why can't we everyone live live a life with the most pleasure possible? You know, why are you we say always... that? Yep. Yeah, you talk about that actually right at the very beginning of your book as well. I mean, you, you almost you almost say the raison d'être for for writing this book is that very thing, which I which I just absolutely love. I, if, if I haven't said it already, I, I I really enjoyed this book, Mark, and I and I I I. I, I <laughs> I want to get this across to everybody. Yes, it's got a lot of fun in it. It's got a lot of, of facts and details and history, but it's also, as, I, as a, we just covered, it, it's just a really good book. It, and, I, and I really congratulate you for writing this book. Uh, there's, a lot of fo- there's a lot of photographs in the book. Some of them, well, there's one, in fact, there's one photograph in the book, which it looks like you're holding up an ancient Greek wall. I know that's not intended, but it's just what it is. It's like, <laughs> it's me. Like, I, I'm actually leaning against the <clears throat> what was the largest brothel in Athens ah. in the fifth century. Yes. Um, yeah. So, and yeah. your vivid imagination was going crazy, right? I can. I, well, I, I just uh, kept thinking, well, this is the alley. <laughs> the, there's the city wall. There's the brothel. This is the alley where Euphrates did his dirty deeds, you know, in the dark with flute girls. And I just thought, yes. I'm like, yes. I'm right there in that moment. And you could, you know, I talk about it in the book, but I felt something. And that probably was just uh, in my, I was just dehydrated. So yes. <laughs> in the book, you talk about being in, in modern day Greece and your adventures, as, as you say, a writer's journey through Greece. Mm. Talk to me about that. Well, you know, well, Greece is a beautiful country, and the, the food is great. The people are super nice. But Athens gets a really bad rap from people because they go like, oh, it's it's polluted. It's, it's crime ridden. It's all this stuff. Well, you know, every great city has those same problems. But once you get away from the tourist sector where the Agora and the Acropolis is and all that, and you get, get out into the city, it is a dynamic and lively. It's a really fun city. And people are out on the streets at night, you know, eating and drinking and doing things. And there's art everywhere. A lot of it people complain because it's like street art painted on the sides of buildings, but it's actually amazing. And so there's just like a, a liveliness to the place that I, I, have, I find is uncommon in these days. So there's just something special about it. I mean, just for example, it's like it's summertime there now, right? So I I was there last or two summers ago, and they'll just throw up a movie theater. They'll put out folding chairs in a parking lot and put up a screen, and they'll screen, you know, like a Fellini film or a Hollywood film. It doesn't matter. Um, <clears throat> there'll be other empty spaces where they'll just put in chairs and put candles on the tables, and it's a bar. You know, some guys with a laptop and a sound system, it's a DJ. Yeah. And, and you're outdoors the whole, and everyone's outdoors all the time. It's all just, time, yeah. it's so fantastic. It's just fantastic. You talked to people while you were there about writing a, a, a book and about learning about the ancient, about the history. Talk to me about talking to the people, the, the, the modern day people. 
Oh, it was, you know, I talked to um, well, Giannis Varoufakis, who was the Greek finance minister and is now a member of parliament. I talked to a, a woman named uh, Dimitra Papadopoulou, who's <clears throat> basically like uh, the Tina Fey of Greece. She's a big TV star. And just, you know, and then some other people, mostly experts um, on different aspects of the city or the ancient world. And um, just, you know, everyone's so generous and friendly with their time and with their ideas and very open about um, the faults of Greek society, but also the pleasures of it. And uh, it was just it was just nice to get their voices into the book. Um, yes. One of the takeaways for me from your book is that Athens that you talk about, the ancient Greek, Greece, was a period in time, period in history that was like no other. I, I, I get the feeling, and, I, and I, maybe you can correct me on this, that we haven't seen a period like that since. Yeah, maybe, maybe certain aspects of the Renaissance. But, yeah. I mean, you know, this is, this is a, the, literally the first time that every man, you know, it's not perfect, but every man, male citizen didn't have to like, there was no boss, there was no king, there was no military junta. Everyone got a voice and they would all get together, you know, 6,000 or so of them at this place called the Pinnix and to discuss it, all of them together. It's sort of, it's, it really is representative democracy and one person, one vote. And, and that was the first time that ever happened. And the things that came out of it <clears throat> are still with us today, you know? Yes. What was, in, in doing the research, uh, Mark, outside of discovering that Cunnilingus was outlawed, was considered to be a, t a terrible, terrible act, what was another big takeaway for you that you discovered on your travels and on, uh, in doing the investigation? Um, well, it's really about it's things like about being a, you know, for me, being an artist, being a writer, <clears throat> what, what does legacy mean? Um, how there is like this continuum of those early com comedy writers to yeah. present day comedy writers. I mean, there's not a huge difference between the plays of Aristophanes the work of Moliere or Joe Orton or the books of Carl Hyacin, you know, it all connects in this, you know, yes. way. And actually some of the jokes are the same. It's like, we still find these things funny, you know, 3000 years later. And so to me, that was kind of a revelation. It was like, wow. Um, and, but also just the, the struggles that society and civilization continue to have about about giving people rights like back then women had no rights or you were enslaved you had no rights and now we take rights away from people here all the time and and there's always this struggle and, and ultimately kind of go draws me back to epicurus who was like hey we're all equals we should all have our agency to do whatever we want and we should all be supportive of everyone trying to live their best lives yes um but you know it's a very humanist kind of approach and and um I'm hoping that that, uh, that kind of resonates um, from the book as well. Yeah. You, in writing the book, uh, I, I, and this is an area that, I, and I think you and I have maybe have discussed this before, but I, I, again, I'm fascinated by this. And this is the, the editing part for you, uh, because you've, you've managed to write this book very concisely and you've got the chapter by chapter, you take us where you want to take us. But I'm wondering, as you're as you're getting 
to the point where you know you're finishing the book. You know you've got all the information there. Was there a temptation, because there's so much information that you've crammed into this, was there a temptation to go further, to sort of to, to go off in another direction at some point? I just get this feeling that, that you, you were gathering so much information that you um, you had to sort of like tie a bow around it and go, OK, got it, got it. Yeah, because I could have I could have spun off on all kinds of things. I mean, like I yeah. said, the, the culture is rich, right? It's yeah, there's so much there. Um and there's so much there to speculate about, but I really wanted it to be about these two writers, their legacies, what was happening at the time, and actually how it affects us now. And, you know, how it affects, you see things like this happening on Twitter all the time, right? You know, these weird rivalries, people getting canceled or whatever. Well, imagine the Catholic Church canceling you 2000 years ago. You're like, yes. you're really, you're really canceled at that point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I wanted to keep it kind of tight and fun. I, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm really into like writing sort of shorter books now, like 200 pages. Um, and I kind of had explored everything I think I needed to explore to give people a taste. And also there's a lot of books I reference. So if you want to learn more, yes, you, you can look those up. And Yes, that's important, Mark. I'm glad that you mentioned that because that sort of ties in with what I was talking about earlier on about notations and references. That's that's really and I'm glad that you did that, because for me. As I said, I enjoyed the book tremendously, but I, I did also very much enjoy the fact that you gave us these links and, and uh, the end notes. Good stuff. Mark, for you writing this book, uh, I, I know you well enough to, to, to understand that you, you're a man that takes your work very seriously. You, 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 mm. You're a funny man. You have a great sense of humor, but you take it, you take it seriously as well. For this book... Was this a difficult book in that respect? Because you 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 have a tendency to be very in, in in your novels. You you give us wonderful twists and turns in your plots, but there's always this wink wink nudge nudge going on the whole time. With this book, were, were you was that difficult for you to keep it on course as being a, 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 the exactly the way you have it? Um. No, it's not, not really. I mean, I know what you mean, you, you know, but the, what people don't appreciate, I think sometimes about people who write humorous books is that you, it takes a lot of work to make yeah. something look like it's breezy. Yes. You know? And yeah. um, so I, I, you know, I worked, uh, yeah, I worked really hard on it, but no, I just like follow the story and follow what I'm interested in and, and see where it takes me. And it, this, subject matter and this time in history and also present day Athens, there's a lot of things to think about and a lot of sort of room for sort of, I don't know, I want to say like introspection, but, and I don't want to get too, you know, self-helpy here, but you know, there's, no. there's some growth but that happens when you think about these things. That I think is so important. And that's something which I, I got the feeling that this is where you, you really underneath it all, you peel away a couple of the layers and that whole idea of giving information so people can actually think about what they're doing and how they're going. I, that comes across in the book, Mark. And I really appreciate that. 
Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that I think the book could be a good stepping stone for sort of thinking about a lot of these issues. The, the some a few we touched on, like you know, female pleasure as a as empowerment and uh, Epicurean ideals, and the the anti military stuff is yes key. Yes, you know? yes. I, over overall, it's it's a very satisfying book, as 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 I as I keep on saying to you, um, <laughs> and I want to I want to. <laughs> Give my audience the the, uh, the the title once again because I think this is very important because people do you know people are listening and they write down notes and I know people do this so the book is called Rude Talk in Athens Ancient Rivals the Birth of Comedy and a Writer's Journey Through Greece we started talking about this I think actually I was at your house in Los Angeles what three years ago and I said what are you writing on next what's your next book going to be and he said can't tell you (laughs) 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 and I thought okay maybe after he's had a couple of cocktails he will but he didn't you didn't you didn't you but I think about a year later you told me well it's going to be a little bit about some ancient culture and, and then you sort of gradually let a few things out which leads me to ask, when you're writing a book, how much do you want to talk about what you're writing? For instance, Rude Talk in Athens. Um, you know, it's funny sometimes with uh, a, a few writers who are friends of mine, um, sometimes I'll, I'll give them more details about what it, because in a way I want to hear what their reaction to it. Um, but uh, but uh, I like to keep things fairly close to the vest. You know? Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to ask you, you know, that that was leading up to what's next for Mark Haskell Smith? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you because you're you're in it. So I'm writing a, a fake memoir. That's it's all true, but it's fake. <laughs> uh, so so so, yeah, it's it's uh, what's the it's basically someone has been hired to write a biography of Mark Haskell Smith. Uh-huh. And the whole book is their letter to the publisher of why they can't do it and why they can't give the advance back. And it, it may be that agents from Amazon are trying to assassinate Smith because he has some of Jeff Bezos rocket ship science his ah. secrets he's going to sell to the Chinese. So it's kind of a, like a spy thriller, but it's also actually a memoir of uh, my life in Seattle and, and beyond. Okay, I hope it's very my... silly. It's very, it's very, very silly. silly. Okay, all right. <laughs> look, looking forward to it as as always. Rude talk in Athens. Uh, it, it's um, I I could go on about it. Actually, I was thinking about this before we started talking here on Zoom. I was thinking that we could just chat on and on. We could go pa- chapter by chapter. Um, I think we've covered an awful lot. But is there anything you would like to talk about the book that that we haven't covered? I, I just uh, no. I think it it gives people a it's a really um, fun dip into a world that we think we know and we really don't, and and it's surprising also how much it affects our lives now. Um, and I so I think it'll people will relate to it and 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 maybe relate to an ancient culture in a way that they've never done before. So um, I, I think I just leave it at that. It's really it's a it's it's fascinating the world. It is. It really is. And it's a fascinating book and a most enjoyable book. My guest, Mark Haskell Smith, the book Root Talk in Athens, Ancient Rivals, The Birth of Comedy and a Writer's Journey Through Greece. Mark, as always, an absolute pleasure, my friend, talking to you. 
Oh, likewise. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Links to the books and music we play at Life Elsewhere are always up at lifeelsewhere.co. And while you're at it, check out our other show, Life Elsewhere Music, 60 minutes each week of new music curated for your listening pleasure. And speaking of music, we just heard an improvisation on a replica of an ancient Greek aulu played by Benjamin C. Mao, which in turn led me to share with you modern music out of Greece. Erica Bark is one half of M1NK, along with Barry Snaith. She also goes by the moniker of Lola Demo. Now, Lola, or Erica, lives in Athens, and her solo work is powerful and captivating. Here, then, is the title cut from her most recent album, Stone. This is Lola Demo on Life Elsewhere. Love me, will you take me? The silence will break me. I'm not as strong as you think. All alone in this world with no
was Lola Demo, a.k.a. Erica Bark, with the title Cut from Stone, her latest LP. Here's another track from Stone. This one is titled Can't Live Like This Anymore. Shut 
music by way of Athens from Lola Demo with Can't Live Like This Anymore. Linking back to my guest, Mark Haskell-Smith, and his new book, Rude Talk in Athens. And in consideration of Mr. Smith's excellent sense of humour and cultural references in his books, I couldn't resist making this gigantic leap. Here is Four Eyes out of Athens, Georgia, with Dirty Magazine. Shine like a guide to fine art I know it's hard to say These are good days Still I love your voice in the cold Like the moon it waxes Up on the dash, so let's just drive around. You can always tell a star from a satellite, it's light all white like a highway gravesite. It's light all white like a highway gravesite. I know it's hard. These are good days Still I love your voice in the cold Like the moon it waxes I know it's hard to say These are good days Still I love your voice in the cold like the moon, it waxes away. That was Erin Lovett out of the charming college town, Athens, Georgia. Now, Erin goes by the name Four Eyes. The album is titled, I Hope This Finds You Well, Songs from Quarantine. Athens, of course, is home to the B-52s, Pylon and R.E.M. Now, do make sure you let me know what you think of Life Elsewhere. Jot down my email address. It comes up in the closing credits. 
Until next time, be well, be safe, and remember, it costs absolutely nothing. Be nice. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Life Elsewhere, created and hosted by Norman B. Life Elsewhere is written and produced by Norman B. Guest booking and additional research by Stephanie Lane. Behind the scenes assistance by James Van, Bruce Goodman, and Allison Klein. We love to hear what you think about Life Elsewhere. Send your questions, queries, and comments to info at lifeelsewhere.com. Dot co. That's C-O. Mm-hmm.